Good evening, podcast fans. This is Rick Reddick from Sidelines, and you and I are inside the hive. Now, I got to say, Joel, that was that was top tier. That I was mean, one of our Jordan Strax was pretty good, but that that's Jordan, pretty close there. Jordan's it's pretty solid. close. Jordan is is just a tremendous broadcaster, one of the best I think ever mm-hmm. in Northwest Ohio area. He's, yeah. he's really good. That w- that intro was right up there with his. So. Uh, Welcome into episode 17 of Inside the Hive. Joel and I are excited to welcome on one of our favorite counselors, Mr. Reddig. Thank you Thanks. for coming on the show here. Thanks. Once it's again, we're recording live from the new Perrysburg location of Sidelines at 136 West South Boundary. They're locally owned and operated and are excited to be serving the Perrysburg community. Thank you, Sidelines, for your sponsorship. So, Mr. Reddig, with our first question, we ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are. Oh, my gosh. My kids always say I talk too much, so this is going to be uh, this is going to be an opportunity to be brief. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, Rick Reddick, school counselor. This is my 29th year in the field of education, so I'm one of those old guys now that's been around forever. And people are asking when is he going to leave, um, <laughs> so they can fill my seat, which is fine. Um, but no, I, I came from a real small town of about 100 people, uh, just west of here from Oklahoma. I'm a Napoleon Wildcat, and mm-hmm. um, uh, Taught previously, uh, I was an English teacher at Wauseon High School for five years, and mm. uh, then uh, came to Perrysburg and have been here since 1999 when the uh, junior high was the high school. So I'm uh, one of the few remaining people on staff that can remember uh, the old building as the as the high school. So yeah, so been here for a long time. Love it. Uh, just love everything about uh, the school, the community. Uh, there's a, a phrase called sipping the Kool Aid while I'm I'm doing uh, <laughs> I'm doing a chug. <laughs> Kool Aid from Perrysburg. I just, I just love every, everything about the place in the city. So uh, definitely uh, bleeding uh, black and gold now. Now, um, what uh, sports did you enjoy playing growing up? Yeah, I was, I was a baseball player through and through. I mean, I was always outside. <clears throat> Never really wanted to stay inside too much anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, grew up playing basketball, football, baseball. Tried to play the drums. And uh, my dad said, go, go throw the football. So uh, <laughs> he wanted nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so grew up uh, out, in, out in the country. So, you know, we just always played sports. There was nothing really indoors. So right, yeah. there was always something to play, always a pickup game. Even in a town of 100 people, uh, I played with guys that were older than me. And actually, I think that was one of the reasons why I was able to be a, a really good competitive athlete. Um, because I was always playing with kids that were older and getting beat up a lot. So uh, made you tough, right? And so, but I was a baseball player in, in high school. Um, I was a football player that made the all-training room team because mm. I always seemed to be injured. Um, but uh, <laughs> just loved competitive, competing and uh, being involved in sports uh, quite a bit. Now, could you uh, tell us your favorite sports memory growing up? Oh, yeah. It, it's actually a little bit of an emotional one. Um, I, I actually, um, uh, and again, baseball player, four-year varsity letter winner, but my favorite one <clears throat> happened during the summertime, and <clears throat> my uh, my aunt actually uh, passed away. My great aunt, and so I was her um, one of the people who uh, was the pallbearer uh, taking uh-huh. her. And so <clears throat> I had to miss the beginning part of a doubleheader we had at Patrick Henry. And uh, so anyway, <clears throat> we uh, had the service, and I showed up late. I'm dressing in the car, getting in, and so anyway, got into the game in the second inning, <clears throat> got a nap bat. First two pitches went by, two strikes right off the bat. I didn't even <laughs> see him. I mean, I wasn't paying attention. And so, uh, anyway, stepped out of the box, kind of regathered, got back in, um, fouled one off, uh, another ball, another ball. 
And then <clears throat> I stepped out of the box because I still couldn't see the ball. I just couldn't. I was not there. Yeah. It didn't warm up. And uh, so then all of a sudden I just took a deep breath and just felt really, really calm. And I stepped into the box, and I knew what the pitch was before it was coming. Uh-huh. I, just, I, I knew exactly what was going to happen, and I sent one out. Uh, to, and, you know, I just started to becoming a home run hitter at that point my junior year. Rounded the bases, um, hit home plate. At that point, my mom and dad had, had come, and they, they saw it as they were walking to the game. My dad saw me on the other, on the other side of the fence, kind of gave me a nod. And I nodded back, didn't say a word. We didn't. We knew exactly who that was for. So, and and for me, I think it was Ann Edda that allowed me to do that because I I was barely there. So, but uh, that was actually my favorite sports memory, and I've had a lot of really good sports memories, um, a lot of success in sports. But but that was just um, it was kind of transcended the game. It was a really great memory for me. I'll I'll remember it forever. Now you mentioned you're starting to become a home run hitter. Did you have any like? Like you see today in the MLB, like crazy bat flips or like a home run trot that you you started to do? My teammates used to mimic how I would approach the plate. I had a 12-set routine <sighs> I did every single time. Break it down. Like what, is that, what does that mean? Oh what does that gosh, look like? Let me see if I can remember it. Um, so anyway, I'd pick up three bats, and I'd do three circles with my left hand, like in a, in a big wide circle, like, you know, when you're warming up, big wide circles. Then I'd do the same thing with the right hand, holding three bats. And then I'd twirl them behind my back of my head, and then I'd twirl them around the front. Then I'd drop one bat. Then I'd do the same routine, and I'd do it with two bats. And oh then goodness. I'd go ahead with a single bat, and I'd take three cut swings, so swings like it would be live. Uh-huh. And then I'd just stand there. I wouldn't do another thing. I mean, even if the the pitch count kept going and, you know, foul ball, foul ball, foul ball, I wouldn't take another swing. I'm ready. So at that point, it's just a matter of I did my routine. I'm confident. I'm ready to go. So I don't, I don't need to do another thing. I don't need to keep warming up. That's outside of my routine. And <laughs> the problem was when I did that routine, when it was in between innings, and I'm taking off all my catching gear. And, <laughs> and yeah, so, that's so. Oof. So they're like, "Come on, let's hurry up!" I said, "No, I got to do my routine. Just hold on a second. So I, at some point, made a few home plate umpires upset when we were in between <laughs> innings because it took a while. To they want to keep that game moving, <laughs> man. Right. Come on, Reddick, let's go. I'm, keep I'm it moving. Umpire. I'm an umpire too, so yeah. I, I, I mean, I know how we want to keep the game moving along, so we don't want to hold things up. But I, I made people wait for me, so I felt like I was in charge of the game. So being a catcher, you can kind of be a little bit of a taskmaster and sometimes a jerk. But you know what? If you're in charge, then be in charge. Don't don't sweat anything or get pushed around too much. So that was just the way I played the game. So you have been at PHS now since 1999. How did you come to the decision that you wanted to be a school counselor? Yeah, that's funny. Um, <clears throat> because in high school, I was not a very good student. I mean, I had friends that had 3.0s. I was a 3.0. No. Um, so I... <laughs> I was a stellar. <laughs> Joel's <three>. fist bumping <laughs> over here. Joel, Joel can identify. <laughs> yeah, um, I, at the end of my sophomore year, I had a stellar 2.3 grade point average. It was I was fantastic. Hey, <laughs> we're representing. You know, I was that kid that wasn't going to get great grades. Yeah, I wasn't going to get great grades, but I was going to make the class entertaining. I mean, that teacher was going to have a. That class. sounds like Joel Katie. Yeah. So, anyway, um, but yeah, I uh, ended up getting into education. I was going to be a broadcaster. I was a broadcaster when I was 16. And uh, got a job in radio and uh, went to college um, do, going to do radio. And uh, so uh, my first year in college, I thought, you know, I, I already have the background. I have the tapes. I know I can make it. But what I really, you know, I want to be a dad. 
my number one thing is I want to be dad. That's my number one title. And I thought, okay, when I'm working in radio, doing a game, doing a broadcast, probably my family's going to be at home. And when I'm at home, my family's probably going to be at school. So that didn't quite work out with what I wanted to do. So anyway, I, I changed majors, not giving up on being in radio and mm -hmm. broadcasting, but went into education. And it, the more I got to work with kids, the more I really got inspired. And it's like, wow, I really want to do this. And so getting into the counseling field, um, you know, being a young teacher, a lot of kids identify with young teachers, connect. And, and uh, so they started sharing some things that were very deep and personal. And the more that happened, the more I thought, I'm kind of feeling a little bit like not an English teacher, but a counselor. And so that kind of came up. I took my one class and said, uh, yeah, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. So the guy who should have never been in education is now 29 years deep. So it's just funny how life uh, works out that way. Now what motivates you to come into work every day? Um, to be quite honest, it's, uh, and it sounds kind of corny, but it's true. I, I love working with kids. I was just talking to Mrs. Check about this the other day that I was having just a, a really, really good day. And uh, she goes, Mr. Reddick, you're really fired up today. I said, I know. She goes, what's going on? And I was like, I saw so many kids today. It was fantastic. So really, you know, it's still, the, it's the kids. It's working with the kids. And, you know, funny enough, the first year of teaching was so bad, I almost left the profession. No lie. I almost left after year one. I told my principal at the beginning of year two, if year two is as bad as year one, you're going to have to hire another English teacher this winter because I just, it, I just, it was hard. But then I realized you've got to take um, the excitement and all the energy of the kids and you've just got to embrace that, you know, um, roll with it. I was a little bit too strict, a little bit too mm. letter of the law, a little bit too much my way or the highway. And that just doesn't work. You, you've got to be able to approach the profession with some sort of, a, you know, professionalism, yeah, but we're all people working together here and sharing the same air. So the more you can do that, I think, the more the kids will identify you, regardless of how old you are, um, and you'll be successful in the profession. Just be real, be professional, but be real, and uh, treat each other with that kind of respect. It goes a long way. Now, what would you say your favorite part of your job is? Favorite part of my job? Boy, I do love to coach. <laughs> Um, when uh, I resigned from the girls' golf coaching position, I was like, oh, geez, I don't get a coach. It's one of my favorite professional titles. But uh, just so happened that I do get to coach the boys' team then coming up this year. So I, I really love coaching um, because I think you can uh, take kids in something that they enjoy and maybe even help get them past some hurdles in their mind and they're doing things that they could have never imagined doing. Uh, when they started, you know, I love seeing kids that are saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. And all of a sudden they embrace the technique that you kind of developed for them. And now they're having great success. That's, that's exciting. That's, that's one of the reasons you get into the profession is to see that much excitement and get, get people past hurdles that they put in front of themselves. So that's, that's pretty cool. Now you're in charge of meeting with and talking to a fifth of the Perrysburg student population, Perrysburg high school student population. Mm -hmm. How do you make a personal connection with so many people? You know, get out of my office. Um, you know, I, I like my office. It's a little bit like uh, a golf den <laughs> with, uh, you know, a lot of golf pictures and the couches, you know, and those sorts of things. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, when I was little, we would go to a restaurant like we're in right now, 
and my parents would order and it would be full of people and I'd be under the table somewhere and then all of a sudden they thought I was under the table. I was three tables over talking to somebody about their meal. So, you know, it's like, where'd Rick go? He was under the table a second here. Oh, Rick, get back over here. And I was like, they had a hamburger, Mom and Dad. You know, and so I would be three tables over. So I don't know. I've just I've kind of always been that way. I've always been interested in, in people and their thoughts and, and how they operate. I just, I've always been that person. So um, when I go up and talk to people in the middle of the restaurant or, or in the grocery store, and it, it annoys my family to some degree, but I've, I've just always been that person. So um, I don't know. I don't know. That's just, I guess, the way I am. Now, what would you say the toughest part of being a counselor is? Oh, boy. Um, you know, we deal with a lot of stuff, right? Um, dealing with a, a lot of personal uh, problems, depression, um, cutting. I mean, you name it, I've seen it and talk to people about it. Um, the toughest part, though, is <clears throat> trying to find a way to manage all the paperwork um, and not abandon the personal connection. Because you know that if the paperwork doesn't get done, um, you end up getting called on paperwork, right? Mm -hmm. You end up getting in trouble if the paperwork's not done. But you could go ahead and not meet with students, and no one would know. Well, that, to me, doesn't make you a very good counselor at the end of the day. So somehow you've got to learn to balance and, um, you know, do what's most important. Get the big rocks, right? The big rocks are the most important things, and to me... The big rocks are the students. They always have been. They always will be. And <clears throat> when I get pulled away from students or engaging with students or working with students, my job satisfaction goes down. So <clears throat> it's a, the toughest thing is just managing the, the silly stuff, the stuff that comes from the state of Ohio. It says this is what you have to do. Um, that, that's the frustrating part. Um, but uh, I tried not to. I wouldn't have been able to have been surviving 29 years in the field if, if I let that really get to me. You figure out a way to manage it. So. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's the stuff. It's the paperwork. It's it's the stuff that takes you away from kids. That's that's frustrating. Now, what would you say the easiest part about your job is? <clears throat> easiest part. Hmm. You never get bored. <laughs> it is not a boring job. It's not like teaching where you have your lesson plan. You've done it for the past ten years. You could do it in your sleep. I still have Romeo and Juliet memorized. Um, <laughs> I could do the balcony scene right now. I mean, you don't want me to. <laughs> cast numbers, all your numbers would go right off the cliff, so I'm not going to do that. But, <clears throat> but, no, it's not like rehearsing the same thing time and time again. Um, it's, it's really everything is new every single day, um, and you never know where it's coming from. So it's, it's really hard to stay bored, um, but... Um, it, it's just always something is different. Always something is unusual. Uh, so you just emotionally prepare for the unexpected because it's coming. And chances are it's coming every single day. So it's easy to, to stay on your feet. Now, what would you say the best piece of advice is that you give to students who come down to your office? <clears throat> well, it changes based on what we're talking about. But I would say the best piece of advice or what I try to let every student know is that it's your vision that is going to take you places. Um, never trust anything that you can do in your sleep. You ever hear the phrase, you know, follow your dreams, follow your dreams? Well, I say, you know what? Dreams you can do in your sleep, but it's the visionary when you step out of the bed, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're in it. You're in the moment. 
okay, the visionary embraces the path. The, the visionary embraces the hard work. The visionary embraces the grind. It's the visionary that gets the job done. So if you can somehow all of a sudden plan and know that when you step out of bed, what I'm going to do today is going to get me closer to my broadcasting career. It's going to get me closer to being the football player I want to be. It's going to get me closer to being the golfer I want to be because I've got a strategy that I put on the wall and I embrace that and I do it every day and I know that each day I do that and it's simple and it's attainable. It's things I can do. That vision, and I'm a visionary, not a dreamer, okay? It's the vision that allows you to be successful. Busy, but you know what? I've never seen somebody who's happy and bored. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Happy and bored person doesn't exist. So get busy about being a visionary, set a path, plan for it, be thoughtful, and then find success in every day. There's something you can be successful in every day. It's that visionary type of mentality, I think, that's probably the best message I can deliver. Now, Mr. Redding, I wanted to ask you, what would you say the hardest part about changing students' schedules is? Now, maybe this is just a senior problem, but a lot of students always ask, why can't we have early dismissal, or why do, why do we have to have more than four core classes? Well, actually, the whole purpose, Dr. Short was the one who started off with the early dismissal, and it was a way to increase... Um, specifically seniors, because juniors didn't have that privilege. But, you know, this the, the classic senior schedule, right? Mm. I'm taking two study halls and an art class. Not that art classes can't be hard, but, you know, you're not taking core classes with math, English, social study, science, where you're challenging yourself. So Dr. Short <clears throat> wanted seniors to give, to give them a carrot for those people who were challenging themselves. And uh, so that's where the late arrival early dismissal privilege kind of came into play. It's why there are four core um, now, you know, since COVID, we ended up going with a double, right? Mm-hmm. And then it expanded. And now we have uh, the junior class also getting one period of a late arrival or an early dismissal. So you missed out on that one. Yeah. You're disappointed. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah. I feel like that would have been nice last year to, like, yeah. after, like, AP, AP or A push, just to be able to just go home after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you'll you'll be able to do that next year at college, either yeah. at state or Miami. Yeah, so, you that's know, true. You can, that's you can true. Look for, you can look forward to that's that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, so so yeah, uh, I guess the question, you know, why do you have to do those things? It's one of those things where, for a guy who was a two point three GPA student at the end of his sophomore year, I was asking myself that same question all the time. Why do I have to learn this? I'm not going to use that. Why am I going to lose that? And realizing that all that, all those words are, that's just a bad attitude. You know, and what, what, I, what I didn't realize is that even things like Algebra 2, and I haven't seen Algebra 2 ever in my life since, you know, high school and maybe college, right? Um, that's just training your brain to think a certain way. It, the complexities, the details, all of those sorts of things, what you are, you're doing is brain training, okay? And so whatever that job is, the logical, sequential things, that allow me to help someone isn't just not a verbal thing through my, my language as a counselor, but it's also a strategy. There's a logical sequential pattern of behavior patterns that I can, I can look at and I can go to. So all those things that it's like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And the backside of it, it's like, because there are a lot of things you don't know and you won't know them until you actually open that book that you never imagined. I mean, imagine never being surprised i got to do something, and then you find, oh, my gosh, wow, I never would have imagined. Yeah. I mean, right? So you, if, if you're not exposed to different things, then, then how are you ever going to be surprised, surprised by what you find? 
So I, I think having a well-rounded, balanced education, I think that that's really important. Not just doing the things you're drawn to, but maybe sometimes the things that you don't want to do, you have to do anyway, and then you, while on the backside of it, go, wow, I'm, I'm better because of that. Um, I, I know even in college, I took a class that it's like, wow, I should be loving this class. And I hated it. It was an interpersonal communication class, and I didn't like it at all. I'm a speech guy, communication guy, and I didn't like it at all. And then I had a class that was um, a science class. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I just have to get through this class. And I fell in love with it. I was like, oh, my gosh, I learned so much. I didn't know this and this. So, you know, if I would have been just doing what I wanted to do, I would have never broadened my horizons. I wouldn't have been as intelligent. I wouldn't be able to talk about maybe some different things that if had I not been forced to be exposed to it, I'm I'm less full. I'm less well-rounded. So sometimes it's just a matter of we, we want you to expose yourself to some different things. So. And the state of Ohio requires that you be in school for five periods. So <laughs> there's, the, there's the other side of it. It's a state, state requirement. Mm. So shifting gears here a little bit back to sports, as some of our listeners may or may not know, you are the PA announcer for our high school basketball games, and you yeah. kind of have a signature introduction now that we've all come used to. Would you mind doing it for us real quick? Yeah, good evening, basketball fans, and welcome to the arena at Perrysburg High School. You are in jacket country, yeah. Part of that's a hack. Part of really? stolen. I was going to say, like, how did so? How did you become the PA announcer for basketball games, and where did you come up with that intro? Yeah, my my old speech and debate coach, Mike Burke, who was a huge influence in my life, and this is the person. Talk about how guys, people can influence you, and great teachers. And I'm not trying to be Mike Burke, but I'm influenced by the man, and I'm trying to do the same type of job that he did. He was my uh, football coach actually as a mm-hmm. freshman, <clears throat> and so speech was required at Napoleon, and. Uh, after I was doing a lip sync in class, because lip syncing was big back in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I almost broke a boom box back then, too. I, my skateboard slid right into it. Pieces fell off. It was horrible. So, so anyway, um, he said, uh, Richie, that was his nickname for me, Richie, I want to see you after class. So I said, <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so I go up, and everybody left, and I said, yeah, Mr. Burke, I know. I'll pay for the boom box. I'm sorry. And he goes, that's not what I want to talk to you about. And he said this to me when are you going to stop screwing up your life? And I was like, what? He said, you know, you have talent and ability. You're, you're not using any of it. So then he forced me to join speech team. And uh, so after that, um, and he was the guy who was the, the broadcaster, uh, the PA guy. And he started off each PA as good evening basketball fans. So that part of it I stole from. Mm-hmm. And what's also interesting is that the Grand Canyon, that's the nickname for Napoleon's gym that everybody knows now here at the Grand Canyon, um, he was the one who provided the nickname for that for that gym, the Grand Canyon. His first year teaching there, he came in and he goes, wow, this place is like the Grand Canyon. And so that's how he started it off. So, um, but, but he was the guy to finish that story that the next year, it was the first time in my life I heard that I had potential. <laughs> first time in my life. I never heard it before in my life that I had potential. My first year, freshman year, uh, junior year, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> my first semester of junior year, uh, I had a th- uh, 3.6. Mm. So I went from a 2.3 to a 3.6, and all it took was for one person to say, you've got potential. So I was hugely influenced by that guy, but I, I totally stole his good evening basketball fans. Um, but um, even though my voice is a little bit crunchy right now, uh, his uh, my voice is that much better than his, so I. 
<laughs> I, did, he, I didn't get that from him. So, yeah. And I'm hoping he's listening. He's down in the villages right now. So uh, he knows that this is going on. So uh, the, um, if, if he hears that, we, I'm going to have to answer for it, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, so I, I got that part of the introduction from him. Um, but the, uh, the arena, I just, when I came to the high school, right, because I was here before it was built, I came in and I was like, wow, I love it. It's an arena. Um, and I just looked at the place with seating on all sides and everything and the track around. And it's like, I love the arena feel of this place. So for me, you know, a lot of people wanted to call it the hive and this and that. And I was like, nah, this, de- this is so grand. This deserves something bigger. It deserves something bigger than the hive. That seems too typical. Think of some of the best sports stadiums yeah. that you know, right? Mm-hmm. What are their nicknames? Of some of the some of the best sports stadiums you know. I mean, there's some of the old school ones like Tampa Bay used to be the, the big sombrero, right? Uh-huh. Um, or you know the big house. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not the Michigan convicts. No, uh, you know they're, they're the Michigan Wolverines, right? The shoe. Right? Yeah, they're, they're not the horses. They're the Buckeyes, right? So, but but they have different nicknames than the team. So I thought the hive just seems kind of typical. So I, I love the sound of the arena because it fits the how big the place feels and really when it's packed how loud it can be it it, it has that kind of a feel so um so yeah so i started calling it the arena at perrysburg high school now what have been some of your favorite games as the pa announcer Mm. well i tell you what um years ago this was back when charlie hughes who's getting inducted into the uh, hall of fame uh this upcoming weekend his teams were unbelievable, and I used to introduce him. He was the last one to be introduced, and he was probably about six foot four, but he played six eight. I mean, he was just a beast on the post, and he was a thinner guy, but he played like he was 250 pounds. You could not move. He was sneaky strong, and so uh, he was rocking the block. So I said, and, you know, in the last position, uh, at the center, Rocking the block, number 33, I think that was his number. Charlie Hughes, and the place would go nuts because he was just a superstar, you know, all-time leading scorer, that kind of a thing. So, um, But um, those teams back then when uh, Dave Dave's Boyce's son, Dave Jr., uh, was the point guard, he was just nasty. Uh, I've never seen a point guard at Perrysburg High School harder to guard. I mean, he would drive his shoulder into guys who were trying to steal the ball, and without drawing a charge, he would just punish them all game long. They were so much fun. Uh, uh, Linthicum was was a part of that group, and and yeah, they were they were an amazing amazing group of basketball players. And you know, funny enough, this group, this team that I saw on the court, court especially this year, I was like, oh my gosh, this is kind of reminiscent of those big time teams and the depth that they have coming off the bench. You're not losing really from the starting lineup to the bench players you're not losing much each one of those guys can strike each one of those guys can 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 put it up can drive can can punish you on the way to the basket um when they're aggressive this team is nasty good um especially when they've got the inside outside game going i mean i i called austin schultz he's the assassin um, so Austin, the assassin Schultz, he's, I mean, he just take your heart out. And now that he's got his mid range jumper going, my goodness. Stein, Stein called him the best shooter he's ever coached. He's nasty. And he's, you never know it by looking at him. That's why I call him an assassin. He's just sneaky. Well, everybody knows about him now. I mean, he's, he's not a secret. Um, boy, can that kid stroke. And I asked him, 
um, at the beginning of the season, I said, on the off season, you worked on your quickness on your jumper, didn't you? He goes, yeah, I worked on that like a lot. And I said, that release is so quick. It's totally different than what you were doing last year. Um, his improvements are just, it's night and day. I mean, he was fantastic list, uh, last year, but, but this year his improvements, wow, really, really good stuff out of that kid. I love watching him play. Could you uh, tell us what what is your opinion on like the lack of student support at the basketball games, and do you have a solution to fix that? You need some hype people. Um, yeah, it's 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 disappointing because you've got such a good product on the floor, but whether that comes from the student body or whether that comes from the team itself, um, if I had a, a great suggestion, I probably would have given it. Uh, but. Um, yeah, it's it's really disappointing because we used to draw some amazing crowds. I mean, that whole senior side was packed. Um, and, um, yeah, but it's it's not this year, and I'm not quite sure why. Um, I'd love to see some more hype, even, heck, even if it's a matter of pumping it up, uh, whether it's online or announcements or I don't know. I don't, I don't do Snap or, you know, whatever <laughs> social media. I've got... I've got a Twitter feed, I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Facebook, and that's all I've got. So you guys are anything beyond that my kids do. And they said, Dad, look at this TikTok. And I was like, what's a TikTok? <laughs> it's like a seesaw to me. I, I don't know any different. So, But, no, I, I just don't have, I don't have the answer for that. But, boy, I would love to see a, a great crew, especially senior night. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things going on, Hall of Fame, uh, you know, a lot of stuff happening in that last game. Um, should have, hopefully, cross our fingers, you know, the Northern Lakes League Championship in the arena. And uh, that would be great to have a, a final farewell before we uh, head to the tournament trail. And we had nine kids go to the game last night. That was just crazy. And seven, school just over 1,700 of us. Yeah. We got nine people to go last night, and that's just mind-blowing well, And I to covered me. for us, okay, when Napoleon showed up, okay, and all my Napoleon people are behind me, yeah. okay, being being loud we were there <laughs> joel and i were there for that one but yeah so so anyway so somebody behind me said you got a crowd you got a school of 1700 and look at that stands look at that stands we've got more people than they do and that's a school of 1700 now i covered and i said big hockey game tonight you know yeah you know and, uh-huh. and, and then i actually said i said and napoleon's not that big of a draw I, oh, I'm starting to feel that way. I'm you're, like, you're, it's starting to be like our school only, our students only care about Anthony Wayne. Yeah. So when it's Anthony yeah. Wayne, they'll show up, but nothing else yeah. matters. And I'm like, just said, go to the game. Yeah. That's the only game that that's, yeah. Yeah. Anthony Wayne, so and that's that's a problem. Like you should go to almost all the games. I said, you know, like hockey. No one used to go to hockey, but then they had one game where they gave out free T-shirts and 200 people showed up. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I covered free a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day guy from Napoleon was right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, sad. My goodness. It yeah, sad. let's get out there and get it. Now, here, and again, from coming from Napoleon, I mean, that's all we live for. We live for our sports. There's not much else, mm-hmm. you know. So you just live and die and breathe being a Wildcat. Um, so it's a little different mentality out there. And so how can a, how can a school with not only half the population, less than half the population of than Perrysburg, how can you compete in the same league? And they consistently do. It's because they got bad attitudes. <laughs> yeah, they know they're the the runs of the litter. So, what what's the answer to that? Go fight. Go get it. Don't make excuses. Make results. So, a lot of you know, my my excitement and attitude is because you know there's a way to succeed, 
And uh, that means, okay, you are who you are. So now go get it. Just don't, don't make excuses, you know. And, and that's not something where I came from that you, you did not make excuses. Um, if you made excuses, the, you knew what the response was going to be. Yeah. So um, just go and compete. We loved competing against Whitmer. Mm-hmm. And, again, Whitmer being even bigger. Um, they were nasty, nasty mm-hmm. good. But uh, we want to go toe-to-toe with the biggest in Did the you wanna, Do you want to get so. food? Do you want to put an order in? Yeah. The, I heard the nachos were amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. What's up? Uh, sure. The ground yeah. beef and, would, yeah. And the jalapenos, you bet. The nachos are great. Absolutely great. So, here. yeah, the, uh, the Napoleon attitude is still in there. And, you know, that kind of drive is what makes you successful. Um, just uh, having an attitude that uh, don't flinch. Actually, Barry Alvarez, he wrote a great book. He used to be the uh, football coach for Wisconsin called Don't Flinch. I would highly recommend it to anybody who's entering the coaching profession because if there's one thing that I tried to teach each one of the teams that I coached, is that you, you're not to be intimidated by anybody. You are well-prepared. We've done the work. Don't flinch. There's no reason to flinch. Um, if you're flinching, then you're thinking about something other than what I taught you, and that's unacceptable. So um, it's a little bit hard-nosed, but okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fine. We can do that. Senior night for boys basketball is February 17th, that Friday, February 17th. Hashtag be there, people. Come on. Yeah. No, and no school that day. Yeah, no school. No Get school. to the game. Sleep in. Get to the game. Tailgate? Go crazy. <laughs> you know? Mr. Reddick will be out in the parking lot hyping up the tailgate. Yeah. You know what? If there's a tailgate, I will be out there. There we go. If there's we, a tailgate. Let's make it happen. Yeah, Spirit squad, let's go. Yeah, let's, let's make let's it happen. Let's get the tailgate going. We, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll go if there's, you know. There's 300 students at that game. I'll shave the beard. How about that? Whoa! 300 students. If we get 300 students, I'll Mr. Reddick will shave his beard. Yeah. We'll put that on the morning announcements if we can. But 300 we'll students at the can final. We, yeah. If we, that if up we break 400, G. you want to like dye your hair pink or something? Mm-hmm. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're not that desperate, Joel. We got 1,700 kids. Remember, Come on my now. GPA, my GPA did go up to a 3.6. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's not. Yeah. I mean, totally not completely gullible. dull. Nine yeah. kids. My, my, yeah, my, kids, keep my yeah. kids said always keep the beard because my my face is is too chubby. Uh, oh, yeah. the beard, oh my so gosh! That's what they said. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll keep the beard. I've always wanted to grow a beard, but I just don't have the facilities for it. Nah, that's coming. That's coming. All right, sticking with high school sports, you you have coached girls golf for the past couple of seasons. What have been some of your favorite memories as a girls golf coach? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, it's funny that you, you asked that because uh, my girls, um, I'm seeing in the hallway right now, and it's not going to be an easy season next year. No. Um, you know, the whole team returns. And, you know, this team and I didn't necessarily always see eye to eye. Um, you know, we, we had our struggles uh, going on for, for some time as far as what they wanted to do in golf and what I saw that they could do in golf. Mm. And um, this last year was just a huge groundbreaking year for us, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, not just in our success, but in how we operated as a team. And we went from sophomore year, listen, we just want to roll out the golf balls and have fun. And I come from the attitude is, you know, we're going to have fun, but winning is a lot of fun. Isn't winning fun? (laughs) So we need to practice so the right way so we we can win more. And and then fun comes along for the ride. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but this group of young ladies, I'm just so in love with. They're they're a wonderful group of 
of, of teammates. Um, they, they really have a desire to do well. Um, and uh, so, and, and I could see it even in their freshman year. This, this is the type of team that could succeed at the, some of the, my best teams. That's back in 2011, um, you know, the first team to win the Northern Lakes League and then 2013 to win the league and then to go to state championship mm. with a senior and four sophomores. And only one of those players on that team had any previous golf experience before they got to the team. Um, Monica Dorner, she, she came from a, a golf family, golfed a little bit, but really took it more seriously when she got to the high school. And um, so then I had four freshmen when she was a junior, and you could see it coming. And then those four freshmen with limited at best golf experience, by the time they got to their sophomore year qualified at the state championship, hmm. they, you know, this year's team has that kind of a mantra about them. You could see it early on. And I made a coaching mistake. I pushed them too hard too early, and they kind of rebelled. And the beautiful part about this team is that they, they know how to use their voice and say, you know what, that's not working. So at their sophomore year on the range one day, uh, the, the you know, team kind of stopped the practice and said, Coach, we need to talk. So they, had, they, ran, an wow. inter- they ran an intervention with the coach. Oh. A bunch of sophomore young ladies, okay, basically saying this isn't working. So I had to take note of that and take a little, you know, bite of humble pie, um, which I'm so glad they did it because guess what? What I do know, and you know as a golfer too, is that the game of golf is the best teacher. Mm-hmm. And so what I did, I did exactly what they asked me to. I backed off, and I let the game teach them. And a little bit better than a week later, the scores started to go higher, and they started to go higher. And so I kept that on all that. And I said, so, ladies, are we having fun yet? <laughs> oh, man. You know, um, you're not good enough to have success without coaching. And by the end of, that was last year, by the end of the season, they started to gather steam and they started to understand and they started to become competitive. You could see it in their eye. And then this year when we got back together, it was like getting back together with your best friends. Um, and so leaving the program this year, when it's in great shape, I feel very good about that. But the relationships, and again, that's just the same as teaching. The relationships you, you gain from coaching and being involved in, in sports and going to battle together and working and not always having success and getting back up off the mat, regardless of whether it's golf or football or whatever it is, those relationships, those are, those are lifelong. And so not to be there in their senior year, it's going to be a hard golf year next year. I'm going to enjoy coaching the boys. I know that. And I've got to get to, you know, know them and, and learn more about them. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a hard year next year. Um, and seeing them in the hallway, I love seeing them. They're, they're my girls. You know, they're my kids. Um, that's going to be lifelong. I still keep in, contract, in contact with almost every single one of my golfers. Mm-hmm. Almost every single one of them I still have contact with online and, and whatever. So, um, they'll always be my kids. Same thing with the, the kids that I coached in baseball or, or speech and debate. They're just always my kids. So my family grows every year. So that's pretty cool. So as girls head coach, you were able to coach one of the best players to ever play in Northwest Ohio, Sydney Deal. Mm-hmm. How would you describe what it was like to coach a player of that caliber? Stay the heck out of her way. <laughs> and, you know, I say that jokingly, and for the most part, I, I do. And we have a different relationship than maybe some of the other girls on the team. Um, I recognize that one of the biggest mistakes you can make as a coach is to overcoach a player. You know, 
but in the same way, Sydney Deal is still 17 years old, okay? She still can make mistakes. There's still things to grow from the game. I mean, professional golfers who make a living at this still have swing coaches. They still have sports psychologists. They st- and those are all people that are there to make them better. So the biggest thing that, that I always ask Sydney is that if there's something going on where I'm helping you or not helping you or whatever, you've got to be able to let me know, one, that's not quite working for me. That's great. I want to know that, and I don't take offense to it. But, you know, there are some other things that I just let her play. And I said, I never want to be accused, because I did do this one time. I had a really talented golfer, um, Kendall Tudor. She ended up turning into a pro golfer, as a matter of fact. And um, I was really trying to. She was 2010. This team was really good. And, and matter of fact, at that time, I had four division, eventual Division One golfers on that team in 2010. They were the best team in Northwest Ohio. We knocked the snot out of St. Ursula, who was like the juggernaut. We beat them three times that season on the same course. We were the number one team in Northwest Ohio. And, boy, my kids were good, and we were fun, and it was a great family. And so I didn't coach Kendall because I knew Kendall would be able to take care of Kendall. She's, Kendall's going to be Kendall. I need to coach these other girls so I can bring them up and, and maybe get some strokes out of them that they wouldn't otherwise have. So I started coaching all the other girls a lot, and I kind of let Kendall go. And what I didn't know is that she was like, where's Coach? Why isn't Coach coaching me? And so I made that mistake uh, with Kendall, and so I learned from that. And I didn't make that mistake with Sydney. Now, I let Sydney be Sydney, but every now and then there's something when you start to learn somebody swing and they're not doing the same thing. Um, or you notice, hey, you normally do this when you're striking well, and now I see you doing that. Let's get back to this. And, and that happened down at State this year, actually. Um, she was losing her driver a little bit, and we got on the range and kind of looked at some things, got her, got her, she was, she was, uh, she was having a, a push fade going on um, for most of the season, but it was manageable. But uh, down at State, it, it exacerbated itself. And so after the first round, and she had a good first round, and conditions were tough, um, we just got back on the range and started to look at it a little bit. I forget the advice that I gave her at the time, but we got it straightened around. Um, the great thing about Sydney is that she's willing to learn. You know, even for a guy who's a baseball guy who grew into becoming a golf coach, um, she's, she's willing to listen and learn. And so I think that's one of the reasons why Sydney's going to continue to develop and get that much better. And I think her best golf days are definitely in front of her is because she will always try her best to learn something. She's looking for nuggets, little things to get better, regardless of where it comes from. Um, so that's, that's why I, I, I really like working with Sydney, and she's easy to, easy to work with. Um, so, and a humble young lady for, for being that good. You don't see too many athletes that are that good and that humble at the same time. <laughs> it just, it just doesn't exist. So, um, so yeah, Sydney's, Sydney's a lot of fun to work with. And, um, this year at state, it was fun walking with her one more time. And, um, I usually don't walk with her at rounds. I'm usually coaching a lot of the other girls, but Thunderbird Hills, 62, Uh huh. 62. What a day. What a day. When she made the turn and had a 31 on the turn, I was like, okay, girls, I'm abandoning you. I'm watching history right now <laughs> because it was locked and loaded. She's driving par fours and knocking down eagles. It was, she, was, she was special. Nothing could go wrong on that day. And you know what? She didn't make every shot. Funny enough, she didn't make every putt that was makeable uh, on that day. Um, 
an amazing, amazing round. So, and she dialed back, dialed one back on the 18th where there was a creek that was somewhat close to the landing zone. She probably could have gotten over it. But I said, you know, what, what's the gain? And you still have a, you know, a 30-yard pitch shot in or you back it off and you have 100 yards in. So how do you feel about your 100-yard game? Really good. You make the call. And so as a golf coach, you just always want the player to play what they're confident with. Um, you don't know. You haven't typically seen that player all the time. You don't, even players that I know, I don't follow them all day long. So you have to ask the player what's happening with you today, and, and, t- and that's how you coach them. And, but the player's got to make the call. Each one of my players, regardless, one through six, uh, Sydney through Sophia, um, they're all playing their game. I, the coach is not playing their game. The coach is seeing what they're seeing, what I'm seeing, and giving some tips here and there. But the players got to play. I let players play. Um, they're the ones that are in charge. And the more they feel in charge, I think the more the better they play. So, but Sydney's going to have some really interesting decisions here mm-hmm. coming up, um, where she's going to go and what. But we never really talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we made a deal. I'm not going to bring it up because it's just a distraction that doesn't get you better. Um, of me, me talking about it or bringing it up. Um, but if you, something happens, you don't let me know, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> so you got to let me know if, if you've made some sort of a decision. So Now, if you played Sydney from the white tees, how many strokes would she have to spot you for you to beat her? I beat her one time. You know that? I did not know that. I did. I did. I beat her her sophomore year. We're at uh, Heather Downs, and uh, we're going to get a, a quick nine in before mm-hmm. sectional. And we teed off on number 10. We're playing the back. Back, yep. And uh, I go ahead. Um, well, they flipped the ninth. It's the one with the tree. Yeah, that's the back, yeah. That's the back. Right? Yeah. So number 10, and uh, I end up uh, getting on and making my par, and she ends up bogeying. And now there was a front that was coming through, and I knew we would have to hurry. Well, it came through, like, uber fast. And as soon as we got done with 10, whoosh, and all these massive oak trees and things are falling. It's like, we are leaving. We're not staying here. And so uh, we're on the way, and we clear the trees, and we're running out of the trees. And uh, Sydney's beside me, and I said, hey, tough bogey on that hole, huh? She, and she goes, yeah. And I said, so just know that today, if you're looking for the day, I beat you today. <laughs> we played one hole. Gosh. <laughs> and that is the only time that I beat Sydney Deal. No, I would, I would definitely need some strokes. She, uh, she would own me even on my best day. So I can still get it. A nine-hole round down into the 30s, um, but they're rare. They're super rare. I mean, normally I'm a at this point because I don't golf much. Yeah, um, I'm a I'm a bogey golfer at this point. So um, golf is just one of those things that if you're not doing it repetitively, you know, you can have all the right techniques, but if it's all feel, you know, and if the feel isn't there, your ball striking's not going to be there, uh, your putting's not going to be there, and that's where your score. So mm-hmm. you've got to. Uh, You've got to be able to uh, feel the game, and that means practice and rehearsal. And, and if you don't do that, you just can't show up and play and expect to be good. So Jack actually wrote this question up for me because I know absolutely nothing about golf. So it's a pretty easy a, question. You in can a four-man scramble, are you going to stand out for your driver, iron play, or are you the putter? Um, I would probably say... My drivers left me. I'm not as long as I used to be. I used to be able to hit 300, but uh, that's just not my game anymore. 
Um, matter of fact, I need a new driver. The, the dirt shaft I have is way too stiff, and I'm, my swing is too slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, slowed, it slowed down pretty dramatically, so I need a different driver. So I would probably say it's probably going to be my approach shots. I'm a pretty good putter, um, but I'm a two-putter. You know, I can leg and get up and down, no problem. Two-putt all day long, but I'm not going to necessarily – knock one down from six feet consistently it's not like put me inside of the circle of friendship and and i'm i'm knocking down left and right that's that's not necessarily my game uh, mine is hit a fairway get to the green two putt get on to the next hole get your par move forward so um i, I would consider it a bad day if i had a 90 um but normally i'm going to be a i'm going to be an 85 86 so what is your favorite course you have ever played on Kapalua in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Kapalua. Yeah, Hale Irwin's course. I got to play that on my honeymoon. That's when you know you married well. Mm -hmm. When you're playing golf on your honeymoon, you know you married well. And I knew that I married well at that point. So, no, Kapalua was amazing. And those greens, whew, Mm -hmm. those those greens were something different. They're not anything that we play on around here. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, definitely Kapalua. Was a, was a special course. When you hit into a pineapple field out of bounds, it's not <laughs> yeah. something you do every day. You know you're playing in a good spot. You're playing in a good spot, yep. So recently you took the job as the boys' head golf coach. How did that come to fruition for you? Well, I had not planned to, to coach anymore. Um, I'm actually pretty close to retirement. Um, I'm looking at maybe three more years, and then I, then I can retire. So uh, my plan was to walk the fairways with my son, go into the bleachers, watch my daughter Avery play soccer. And so I was going to be dad um, because I didn't want to. And this is what I told the girls when we had our meeting and I let them know that I wasn't going to coach. I said, you know, this team is so good and I care for this team enough that they deserve a better coach than somebody who's there but wants to be someplace else. That's not fair. And so, and I believe that, and I still believe that. So I, I told them and, you know, let Mr. Jaco know, and he goes, you sure, you sure? And I was like, yeah. And, and to be quite honest, it's what's best for the team. I didn't, I didn't help grow a team to just all of a sudden have it about, be about me. And any coach should have this mantra. A coach that doesn't have this mantra, I don't trust. The team belongs to two people, and it's not the head coach. It's like, oh, it's this coach's team, it's that coach's team. That's garbage. This is who the team belongs to. It belongs to the name on the front of the jersey. Okay, and it belongs to the name on the back of the jersey. Anybody who's been an athlete, Mr. Rogers, mm-hmm. you've been an athlete before. Your best memories, and you guys were talking to me. Yep. Your best memories in your life are when you're out there competing, when you're out there playing with, with your buddies. You know, that, those, are, those are the memories. They belong to you forever, okay? As a coach, you just help to get, you get to facilitate that, right? So... So my whole goal is just to be that kind of a coach that, that does it for I'm, – I'm just so proud that I get to be able to, to coach those kids. So going into the boys' program, I, that was not my intention. Um, it was only because, um, you know, Mr. DeLauder uh, has a seventh-grade girl. She's a pretty good golfer. And he was like, you know, transition-wise, this would be a, a good transition time. And so that was like two weeks after I had announced but. Um, you know, they really wanted a, a course that's a little bit closer to Perrysburg than, than White Pines. And, and so, you know, they were, uh, they were interested in possibly moving that course. And so it was a long discussion, and they put a lot of thought into it. 
So once they decided that they were going to pick up the girls' program, that's when Mr. Jaco uh, said, hey, and I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I never wanted to stop coaching. I loved coaching. So, um, but now it's a matter of, you know, boys' golf teams, good golf team last year, lost so many seniors, but um, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in, um, you know, rebuilding years. I don't accept them. It's just reloading. So how can we, you know, load ourselves up with some talent? I'm recruiting right now. <laughs> um, I, want, I want people to come and want to compete and play, you know, because golf is a sport that if you've got to have fun. And the more you can have fun, the more you can relax. The more you can relax, the better you can play. The more you're having fun. It's cyclical. So I want, I want kids that want to be able to compete, have fun, learn the game, and if we do that and do it the right way, um, the boys' team will, will, you know, we're not going to be as good as last year's team, uh, but um, we're going to be able to grow. So our growth measure is going to be who were we at the beginning of the year, who were we at the end of the year. Um, so I'm interested to see what we can do um, with that. And so the kids are going to experience something different. So I'm excited for it, really. It's a new challenge. Now, what are some of your goals for the future of the boys' program? Um, well, Anthony Wayne's just, that's like playing Solid. football. football. I mean, it's just, it's not a fair fight. They're, they're so good right now. And I went out to see the um, varsity contest when they were getting ready uh, at Belmont. The, Anthony Wayne was getting ready for state. Yep. And my goodness gracious, the, so, the shot selections they have, the power off the tee, the, the preciseness of their approaches – just all really fantastic. I mean, it was it was great, and they're they're, they're young, you know. So um, they're they're just solid. What I want our team to do is to continue to have growth every year, and you know, this year will be a reloading year, and then the year after that, get more kids involved with Toledo Junior Golf, um, continue to grow the program. I don't want to lose a single player to any other school i want them to say this is the program that even though we're not let's say at anthony wayne level right now we're going there we're heading in that direction we we're we're not taking second place lightly okay we're we're, we're just not we're not ready to accept saying we're not very good i don't want to hear that from a single one of my players okay i would rather i want us to hear we're developing we're on a path that's the vision I talk about before, you know. It's, it's what are you doing when you step out of bed? How are you becoming better? And you got to golf every day. got to practice every day. You, that's what you just got to do. So I haven't really shown anybody any kind of practice plans yet. I haven't done a lot of outreach. We had one meeting so far just to say, hey, guys, I'm your coach. Um, but um, once we start getting into the spring, um, guys are going to start uh, getting organized. We're going to head out to Dan Connolly's range and – and um, hopefully take a few divots and and uh, learn a little bit about our swings. So I'm excited for it. So what are some of your expectations for this upcoming golf season? Um, it's really boring. Um, when people talk about goals, they're talking about winning league championships or winning medalists or, or doing those sorts of things. Those are all byproducts. Uh, goal setting just simply means are you – doing your practice techniques right are you are you swinging the club every day do you go through a routine that's planned and has a strategy to improve your game um how are you managing your temperament that can be really hard in golf (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. um you know so what's your what's your mindset 
So we're going to even talk about mindsets and how to mentally um, compete with the game because really the game is a competition in and of itself and then within yourself. So, so those are some of the things that we're going to be doing. So our goals uh, for the upcoming season are to learn that mindset, to learn that strategic kind of success pattern. Sydney Deal, as a good example, and her mm-hmm. brother Mason, same thing. They have that. You know, they do that, that strategic practice every day. Um, and it's something that's, it's a part of their, their livelihood. That's, you know, there's no, they just didn't get born and become good. You know, yeah. they, they've been playing for some time, but it's very strategic. It's very thoughtful. Um, and when you take a thoughtful approach, you're increasing your odds of success dramatically. You just can't show up and say, I'm just going to play games and I'm just going to play golf and be good. It's got to be strategic. So that's kind, those are kind of our goals, to get, to get kids to buy into the boring part of golf, which is chipping and putting, man. Mm-hmm. Chipping and putting. How do you chip and putt? What are the different ways to chip? What, what does this lie call for greenside on a downhill slope with heavy grass versus an uphill slope on a, on a thin grass surface with a short-sided stick, you know, uh, wet, and it's wet or it's dry or, or a bunker if it's fluffy or it's flat? You know, what kind of shot selection do you have? So for me, it's all about the learning. Now, could you tell us what are, what are some of the pros and cons of being able to coach your son on this year's golf team? God help him. <laughs> I, I hope I hope he can survive the season. That's that's a toughie too. I thought about that. Um, you know, we have a really good relationship, our Ryan and I. And you know, I, I could have very easily just stayed on the sidelines and kept my mouth shut. Um, that would have been just fine by me. Probably would have been fine by him. Um, but um, you know, I take the same strategy with Ryan that I would with any other player. And to be quite honest, you know, I. I each one of those players, I, in my mind, they are my kid. You know, each one of the, the girls that I've coached before, they're my daughter. Um, and I still treat them that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was crying when I left the team. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't hide my emotions because it, it broke my heart to leave them because I love those kids. Um, so, you know, I'm going to inhi- inherit a bunch of sons next year. Normally, I'm, I'm used to inheriting daughters. Um, I'm going to inherit a bunch of sons. And I'm going to treat him um, as I would treat my own son. Now, probably better because I'll jump on my son maybe a little bit harder than I jump on somebody else's son. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. Um, but uh, in the same way, you know, I'm going to. I'm going to coach them with the same level of passion um, and caring that I would. I would coach my son Ryan. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, he's a pretty honest kid, mm. um, and he's really good. I think about if he's going to share something with me that's maybe not going to be flattering or if he's got a problem, he's going to do it in private, Hmm. you know. So we might have some conversations in private. Um, But he also knows that, and I've told him this before too, that because I'm the coach or I'm at the high school or whatever, he's unfairly got eyes on him, unfairly. I mean, if you're growing up and you're a kid in the district, Mr. Rogers' uh, daughter might end up experiencing this one day is that, you know, everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows your parents. Everybody knows you. So, and that's how he's grown up. So it's probably not a big deal to him. It's probably more of a big deal to me. Mm. I'm probably a little bit more sensitive about it than he is. Um, But he's a competitor. So when it comes down to it, 
he's not thinking about me. Just go compete. And I coached him for years in baseball with travel baseball. Mm. Um, so the worst thing I told him, the worst thing you can do is somehow look over in the dugout. And he used to do that a little bit. I said, stop looking in the doggone dugout. You know, you got a game to play. You get, you're a catcher. you got a field to manage. You've got these players to direct around. Doggone it. That's, that's where you've got to have your mind. Not what I'm thinking or what, I'm, what you're worried about, what I think. So don't worry about what, what dad thinks. Just go play. You know, so uh, hopefully he does that this year too. Don't worry about me. You just do your thing. You've been coached well. You know how to do it. So focus on your game. Focus on the shot selection. Focus on the, the things that will make the ball do what you want it to do. If you focus on that, everything else takes care of itself. Now, how do you feel you're going to be able to separate being a dad from being the head golf coach? Well, you know, I've had to do that for a, for a long, long time, wear a lot of different hats. Um, when you go through counselor school, mm-hmm. um, there's a thing called dual relationships um, that you try to avoid. It's an ethical issue. Um, and actually, my uh, professor in college said, you know, you really shouldn't coach as a counselor. And the reason is, is that you can be put in a situation where you have to discipline, okay? You have to discipline a player or whatever. That's why they say, you know, counselors shouldn't be teachers as well because no counselor should be in a disciplinary situation. They come to you not expecting to get disciplined but expecting to be cared for, right? So when you mesh those lines, now all of a sudden you confuse the kid. Well, am I going to get in trouble for this, right? And so with the kind of conversations that I have, which are really open and honest and, and very sensitive conversations, you don't want a kid to f- start filtering what they say. So from that standpoint, you know, how am I going to separate the two? Um, I know that, that Ryan knows that I can wear different hats. He's seen me do it before. For me, it's always a challenge, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I've always felt like because I do coach, I'm a better counselor because kids see me as more real, you know. Um, They don't see me in my office. They don't see me as, you know, somebody that's anything other than a part of the school community. So I think doing that actually helps me professionally too. So um, how do I manage it? You know what? I, I have to say I don't operate that much differently in the counseling office as a coach. Um... I try to keep that same mentality regardless of what I do. Um, and I think that consistency is what builds trust. Now, what does a typical day in the life look like for you? Um, I wake up at uh, 6 a.m., which is an hour before I need to because I need to have my three cups of coffee before I go into work. <laughs> but, you know, people say, well, you walk up at 6 a.m., the school doesn't start till 8.30, and you're in there at, like, quarter after 7. Yeah, I need time to wake up. I don't need people talking to me at that time in the morning. My wife says, oh, he wakes up early, he wakes up well. No, I don't. Uh, I, wake up, I wake up early enough so that way people don't have to see me wake up poorly. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, but, no, I wake up early, and um, uh, usually my three cups of coffee, watch my news, and, and then I'm in school at 7.15. Um, and again, part of that is um, organizing my day. It's I've done. I've arrived a little later, but what happens is then people catch me as I'm walking in, and mm. my whole morning starts. Really, I end up having someone in my office by 7:45 consistently every morning, consistently, and usually, many times that that part of the day, 
I'll, I'll be off and running already before the school day even starts. Mm. 7.45 is usually when my world starts clicking in the counseling office, even though the gates haven't even, even opened yet. So, um, but yeah, but then it's part of it is part of the day is planned. Part of the day is open. I like to keep it open because of emergencies that can come. You know, and I like to be accessible, so I like to be out in the hallway. You guys probably have already noticed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, got Reddick's got that spot in the hall, right? Um, but being in the hallway, I get a lot of work done, um, and a lot of kids come up and see me. And you know, I, I think that students kind of expect that, and which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. I want to be a part of their world. Now, you briefly mentioned being an umpire. Would you mind talking to us a little bit about that? Yeah, twenty. What's this? This is season 24. Um, and I stopped umpiring for a long, long time. When um, I had a cup of coffee at Bowling Green on the baseball field there, and then when I stopped doing that, I picked up the mask um, to umpire. And so I umpired from age 19 to, oh, I think I stopped umpiring when I was about 30, 38, I think. And then I picked it back up again um, covid and then and then on from there so yeah 24 season as as an umpire um i've umpired nc and not well yeah a couple of ncaa games but naia uh did quite a few of that but that the college umpiring life is just not good (laughs) it's just it owns your world so that that wasn't for me but high school umpiring yeah i've done that for a long long time um and i love it because i love the game i'm a baseball guy even though i coach golf i'm a baseball guy um, and um, being involved in the game. There are two teams out there. There are actually three teams out there. there are two teams and then the, the umpiring crew. We're a part of the team and, you know, how we operate and the training we have. We feel like we've got a game. And, and I, I don't know of any other, whether it's umpires or basketball officials or football or whatever it might be, when you're working with a team and you have your unit, you want to be as sharp as possible. And so um, I love umpiring. It's, it's fun. And you don't worry about getting yelled at. If you're worried about that, don't, don't ever pick up the mask. Um, you learn how to manage that. And don't take it personally. Um, it's not personal. The, you want to stay in a game. Okay, if you ever coach, the way to stay in a game is never start off with the wrong word. There's one word that will get an official's attention. You want to know what that word is? Yeah. What is it? You're wrong? I don't know. Nope. Well, you almost yeah, said it. Yeah. You. Yeah. yeah. You said you're wrong. Well, okay. Um, that's more about the call. But yeah. the second you say you, you're a this, you're a that, now you made it personal. Yeah. Now we're going to shut you down. <laughs> so if you can say that call was this, that call was that, okay, that's fine. All right. Go ahead and have your argument. You're the coach. You work hard. You're supporting your players. I get all that. Any umpire or official has that mentality. So long as you're talking about the call, we can talk and, and have an argument about the call, okay, or even in the interpretation of the rule. That's all good. But the second you say, you're terrible, oh, now you made it personal, you see. Now I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to put you in the dugout. And if you make it really bad, I'm going to send you. But mm-hmm. in 24 years, I've had five ejections. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't, I don't do that. You know, that just destroys the game. Now, do you have, like, a, a go-to strikeout move? Like, when you're getting ready to ring someone up, you're like, ah, you're out of here. Like, it. You just did it. You just did like, it. You, see the, you ever out. seen the uh, the Kent Murphy video on YouTube where he goes through all his, like, strikeout things? Yeah. Oh, 
That not, video is hilarious. I'm not that guy. You're not, not that guy? I'm not that Oh, I was guy. hoping. I'm, I'm like, you know oh, what? he's going to have a great one where he just rings him up. See you later. I'm a, I'm a battery guy. So anytime, anytime, you know, that battery, which is the pitcher catcher, right? Yeah. Anytime they get something good happens for him, I don't care who it is. Heck, yes, I'm going to punch him out. Good job, pitch. You know, mm-hmm. keeps my game moving. Let's hit that zone a few more times. So I, want, I always want to encourage the – the pitcher and the catcher, they're my boys, okay? So let's go. We Let's let's play because they're the guys that are also going to keep that pace of the game moving, right? So I'm always cheering on my pitcher and catcher. Get a good relationship with your pitcher and catcher and everything can go well. Um, if that relationship is bad, it's just brutal. It can be really bad. Uh, but, no, punch out? Heck, yeah, I'll punch him out. <laughs> but outside of that, a strike call is just uh, you beat, take a beat, do a little gun signal on the side. Ha! Give it one of those. So um, I don't try to be too showy out there. Mm. That's that's that means that the game's about you, and it should never be about you. Um, you you want to have a flavor of the game, okay? You have your own personality out there. Don't come neutral, um, but in the same way, don't make it about you. It's it has nothing to do with you. So now this week this weekend obviously features Super Bowl Sunday. So we wanted to ask you, what is your Super Bowl prediction? You know, Mahomes is going to battle. Mahomes is going to be Mahomes. As injured as he is, that guy is a magician. He's a future Hall of Famer. Mahomes is going to get it done. But it's the Eagles' defense that wins that game. I, I, th- I really think that, that yeah. the Eagles' defense is just nasty. And the thing is, they're balanced. They can beat you in so many different ways. Um, and I think probably their strategy is going to say, keep Mahomes in the pocket. You know, he's going to be a little bit mobile. He's going to struggle to be mobile. But if you can keep him in the pocket, you know, short pass here, short pass there. Watch out for Pacheco. Pacheco, Pacheco, Pacheco. yeah. yeah. That kid is – he could have a game now. That kid, he's scary. If, if you don't account for him, he might be the secret sauce for Kansas City. Um, if you don't account for that kid, he's going to tear you up. If they, I wouldn't be surprised if if they end up using him in a lot of those different patterns out of the backfield, out into the flats. Um, he he, I've seen him this year. I picked him up up in my fantasy league, uh-huh. so I, I had a vested interest in him. But he's he's good. He he could end up being the secret sauce for Kansas City. But I just the Eagles defense. You know, I just I, – I like him. And Jalen Hurts is pretty special as well. Does that guy even sweat? <laughs> it, never, mean, he, it never seems like it, no. He doesn't even – I mean, he is so cool. What a cool customer. And he does – talk about not flinching. Yep. I mean, he's like walking down the street. You're playing an NFL game. You're in the fourth quarter. You got, you got a two-minute drill, and you look like you're barely breathing. I mean, <laughs> he has no soul, that guy. He's, he's special. Now, there's been a lot of talk recently about the NFL after the the Bengals-Chiefs game about it being rigged. Do you feel that the NFL is scripted in any way? No. No, I don't. No, I, I, don't, I don't think so at all. I, I think that the NFL knows because they're businessmen. They're rooting <laughs> for certain teams to to do well because they know they'll, they'll bank like more. But. The Cowboys not yeah. good for so long in one of the biggest markets that there is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so, but no, I – I don't think it is. I mean, uh, I'm not one of these con- conspiracy theories, guys. I mean, 
So you're saying you have to organize all the officials to slide a game to, nah, nah. Because with the instant replay and everything that goes on, these officials don't want to be made fools of. Yeah. You know? um, so, no, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy any of that. And from an official who really booted a call huge in the, in the Whitmer Central game on BCSN, it was like, I don't even want to watch that game. I, I just kicked the can, and it was a rule situation. It wasn't even a call situation. It was a rule situation. And I'm like, oh, and Jeff Melcarrick, I know, and he's a friend. And uh, he came out to discuss it. He didn't argue it because that's not what Jeff Melcarrick does. He came out to discuss it. And he was kind of leading me in the right direction. And, and I told him, and I'm an official who, if I bone something, and that's what we call it, we boned mm-hmm. it, we kicked it, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to write an email. I'm going to reach out. And I'm going to apologize because they should expect more from me than that. So I'm, I'm a tough critic on me. I just don't walk away from the game when I kicked it, especially a rule situation. they got to expect more from me than that. So I reached out to Mel Carrick, and I, I apologized. And I said, you know what, you were right. I, I scored. Now, the run had eventually scored anyway. It wouldn't have mattered, but it mattered to me because i gotta, I got to do better than that. So, uh, yeah. And he goes, well, I appreciate you reaching out. And I said, you can, you can expect more next time. And he's an official, too, Central Catholics coach. So, so he gets it. He understands. But I said, I wish you would have argued. You didn't argue. I wish you would have. You, you had every reason to, to get on me about that one. But uh, he didn't. So he's a good guy. So now we're going to do this week's, this week's Rank It segment. It's where we give you a topic and ask you to rank it one through five. This week we wanted to know your top five Super Bowl party foods. Wings. Number one, got to go with the wings. Um, any kind of a um, like a uh, like a Mexicali dip or something yeah. like that. Mexicali dips, those are fantastic. Number two, this one you might be surprised by. Um, I've had these little, I don't know if they're like in tortilla ch- uh, shells or something like that, but then they have like a like some sort of a, a ranch dressing, and then there's ham in there. And like a, a, a pickle, and, and I, we get these at a Super Bowl party every mm. day, and they're so addicting. And, mm-hmm. and so it's like a little wrap that they cut into little slivers. Yeah, and uh, that's that's amazing. Like a pinwheel type thing. Yeah, kind of something like that. Yeah, yeah. So um, that would probably be my number three. And um, uh, you know, you can't, you can never go. You know what? I'm going to move that to number four. Number three would be the the spicy chicken, buffalo chicken buffalo dip. Chicken yes, dip. fantastic. Yeah. Yes, yeah, buffalo chicken dip. That's that's amazing. You can make a meal out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and number five, struggling now. And it's got to be a food. I mean, I'm sure we can make it a beverage all if you right, want. But. Right. Well, let's let's stick with food. That's maybe safer. Mm-hmm. Um, food. Um, I hate to say pizza because I never had pizza on Super Bowls. So I, I, we don't. Yeah, no. It's not a pizza thing. Pizza's for like after basketball games or something yeah. like that. Um, hmm. You know, there's usually like some chips or something that you just have on the side. I, I guess. Because normally right. I end up just grazing on some chips or something yeah. like that. So, yeah, um, I don't know. I'm kind of swinging and missing on on number five. I That's missed right. on the pop quiz. That's all right. All right, 80%. That's, right. That's good for a 2.3 uh-huh. GPA guy. <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. Now, could you want to talk to us a little bit about what do you have in front of you to eat? I have the nachos, which I'm probably going to end up taking home. 
Because I don't want to crunch on air. Oh, we love the crunch. You want to give us a live taste test? The fans love the crunch. Yeah, Joel yeah. started with the knockout burger See, in there. Give the people a little well, ASMR. Joel can ask the question, and then he just kind of steps away. Yeah. Now I'm taking I'm, – right now I've got the, the jalapeno. I've got the queso cheese. I've got some dip. Um, looks like some ground beef here. And the jalapeno has the seeds in it. So I've heard that the <coughs> there seeds we are go. Not, but we're going to give it a shot. Yeah, Joel's not a big jalapeno guy. He's kind of a whip. Here we go. One bite. Everyone knows the rules. Portnoy style. Um, let's see. Let's see what he thinks here, Joel. What are you thinking? I mean, the queso nachos always a good option here at sidelines. Queso nachos were good. Yeah. I've also got the sour cream here. We'll take advantage of that later. But, but yeah. I don't necessarily do the salsa though. You're not a salsa guy. No, I'm not a salsa guy. I think the salsa. That jalapeno has a perfect amount of of spice, mm-hmm. and I, I'm a bit of a spicy guy. But yeah, the older I get, the less of a spicy guy I am. Yeah. But no, that's got a perfect amount of spice. Not. Not going to set your lips on fire, but it's going to mm-hmm. let you know that it's there. Now, the Super Bowl is always a big marketing campaign for corporations, and they always ha- come up with their best commercials. What do you think has been your favorite Super Bowl commercial of all time? Spuds McKenzie. Let's go back to that one. See, even Mr. Rogers is like, who in the world? We're getting, is we're getting, McKenzie? we're getting a video footage of this only, while he's only talking about it. With gray hair, know who Spud McKenzie is? Spuds McKenzie. All right, we're getting footage of this. Yep, marketing uh, from the dog, dog, yeah. Yeah. All right, can we we pull up? Do we have a video of it? All right, let's see. Joel and I are going to watch this video here for you guys. Spuds McKenzie. Spuds McKenzie. Surfing. See, look at that 80 hairdo. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, there you go. Oh, the dog, okay. He is the man. All right. Spuds McKenzie. Everybody had their Florida shirts on. Oh, so it's a Bud Light commercial. Bud Light commercial. Oh, all right, I got it. Spud I got McKenzie. it now. How do you not love a dog with sunglasses? No, that's and great. A that's shirt. It's great awesome. marketing. On it's a great. skateboard, even. That's great marketing. He was the man. I still think Dilly Dilly was better. Oh, Dilly, 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 Dilly Dilly is so, Dilly so good. Solid. That was that's so good. That's a good one. Yeah, Spuds, Spuds McKenzie. So I'll, I'll do the throwback. I mean, there we go. And they went beyond the Super Bowl. I mean, it was just – it was a spud world for, like, three years. They they tagged them to Spuds McKenzie. So, yeah, that was legendary. Now, if you could go to one of these three things, which one would it be and why? The Super Bowl, March Madness, or the Masters? I've been to the Masters. I haven't been there for a uh, an actual tournament round. I was there for practice round on Wednesday. That uh-huh. was family day which is a great day to go uh-huh. because the pros sure are walking is. around with their families and hanging out. You've been there? I have. We yeah. went last year for the Wednesday, okay. and that was really cool. Although we had two, like, mini rain delays where it never rained, so we had to get es- everyone gets uh, escorted out, and then you walk back in, uh, and then you had to walk back out. But it was it never rained once the whole time, and there was, like, a weather delay. But it was uh, still a really cool that, experience. Yeah, so. and, and I had probably the perfect day. It was 72 degrees and sunny and you know it it was just it was magic now did you get to shake the hands of the guys in the green jacket as you no we did not i well no we didn't because it was all like weird because now you got to go way through like all the security stuff now but then you yeah some security as well um but they were in a line, and this is on a Wednesday okay yeah Wednesday Wednesday. we went to the par three too that was amazing too so the guys who are Augusta National members are in their green jackets and yellow ties, and they're at the gate, okay, just the 
you know, normal schmo gate that, that we go into, right? And they're out shaking hands. Welcome. Welcome to the Masters. We're glad you're here. <laughs> welcome to the Masters. Glad you're here. I was like, I just shook a hand with a guy who could buy and sell me, okay? So I was like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. And so, you know, we're going in. And we had our, you know, pimento on rye and all that, all that good type of stuff. Well, Joe, we got to get into that, Joel. Oh, like the ahead. concession stands, yeah. you would, you'd be like, you'd go crazy over all this stuff. Like oh. you get a pimento cheese sandwich, mm-hmm. and then you can get like an ice or a lemonade, and then you get a pulled pork sandwich, and then you get a bag of chips, and it's like seven dollars yeah. for all of it. Yeah, like yeah, you crazy. go back throughout the whole it's day. Crazy. You just, yeah, you're picturing them. Yeah, stuffing my bag, but. The thing is, you're working hard. Like, you get there, and you don't see, like, on the hills oh, on TV. You get the first fairway, goes, like, straight up a mountain. You're like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. And like, you're walking around the whole time. They got all these different concession stands. You pop in. You grab something. You're like, ah, oh, it's like three bucks. And you just keep looping it. And you're like, this is bizarre. And, and, and this is what's cool, too, is that what my brother-in-law and I, we were, we were sitting on the grass, and we're watching play, right? And um, so this gentleman who's maybe about – 20 feet from us he's on the slope of the hill and he decides and he's an older guy not too old but maybe in his upper 50s and so anyway he takes his big sombrero hat and he puts it down over his face and he starts leaning back and so he's laying because it's 72 and sunny it's like oh my gosh you're blessed to be here so he just he does that right and so then maybe 20 30 seconds after he lays down there's a gentleman that taps him on the shoulder he's in plain clothes and he said something on the order of, I could kind of hear it. He said, sir, are you okay? And uh, from underneath the guy's hat, he says, I'm sure, like, yeah, I'm fine or whatever. And he goes, well, sir, and I heard this. He said, we have many people who are here who are trained to recognize people who are in distress. And if you're laying down, you're going to get bothered the rest of the day, and we wouldn't want that to happen. So if you could please sit up, you won't be bothered for the rest of the tournament. Now, what is he really saying? Buddy, it's the masters. Get up. Okay, you're not going to lay down on the grass here, but he did it in such a way that was so kind, and and it's like, oh, great. So he didn't have to embarrass this guy. He didn't have, and I was like, that's Augusta National hospitality, you know, mission accomplished. You didn't embarrass the guy, and that's how you how you operate. I mean, that's that's Augusta National one on one right there. So, what would you say some of your favorite hobbies are outside of sports? Um. this sounds so old, man. I, I belong on like a, what's the commercial where don't turn into your parents? Is that Progressive or Geico or yeah. something like that? Yeah, I'm one of those guys. I'm a lawn guy. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I love, I, and Mr. Rogers and I live on the same street. I'm on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Oh, now. my gosh. That's, that's over by you, That's over by you, Joel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You too. You too. Yeah. 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 So anyway, but no, I, I love a great lawn. Uh, so yeah, I, I always want my lawn to look awesome. It doesn't right now, but it's winter time, right? Yeah. So a little little grace, but you know, um, like lawn care, and um, you know, I like to play chess. Um, so my decompression is this. You know, after school, I went home and I played three rounds of chess online. So I, I'm really boring that way. I mean, that sounds really bad, but it's it's really boring. I do like to ski, but I don't get to do it that much yeah. um, at all, really. Um, and I like to golf, but I don't get to do that that much either. Um, but I, I, you know, love love the beach. Um, we're going down to um, Charlotte uh, this summer, so that's our summer vacation. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're 
going to head down that direction. We've been down the Gulf Shores many times. Um, but yeah. uh, this year we're going to Charlotte. Ryan wants to hit a Charlotte uh, golf course, and he's looking at, like, Harbortown. And oh. <laughs> like, um, no, we're not dropping $600 for a no. golf, Ryan. Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy expensive. So I'm, I'm sure we'll find a course. A lot of, like, the big name show. Bizarre. I, I see. Yeah. But you're like, nah, some people pay it, and they'll play it, and they'll be like, was it worth it? No, but I did it. So Yeah, yeah. No, the, well, I, I will one day play Beth Page. Um, I got to go out to Long Island to see the yeah. Open out there. Um, uh, one day I will play Beth Page on Long Island. That, that course is nasty. Um, I didn't go to Beth Page, actually. went uh, a little bit further up Long Island. Um, but um, Bath Page back, black, I've seen it, and it just looks so amazing. Um, pretty cool place. Now, what kind of music do you listen to? Oh. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So, I played free on that tour. No, you, you, you didn't. played the Harbor Town for free? That's crazy. Oh, really? No shot. That's uh, that's amazing. Yeah. And I didn't even like. He was like, "Hey, we're gonna play harp and like, I'm not. Yeah, you're like, "What's yeah, that?" Like, you're like, "Okay, like, right, yeah." Everyone else. Is there you said that I was? It's it's it really nice, and it's it's tight too. Like you gotta hit What's like, the name down of a bowling alley, Harbor Town. Yeah. Has the cool lighthouse. Yeah, yep. and the um, not flannel, but why can't I think the jackets? Um, It'll come to me. Oh, my gosh. Plaid, Plaid thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Now, what kind of music do you listen to? Yeah. Um, typically, um, uh, you know, it's funny because when I started in radio, um, I'm normally. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's yeah. nice. Um, I, I was on the FM channel, uh, WNDH Napoleon 103.1, the great voice of the Mommy Valley. Um, so <laughs> I, was, I was on the FM channel. And then my station manager said, hey, we need you to go to the AM for Sundays, do Sundays after afternoons. And it was the country channel. It was 12 at 1280 AM in Defiance. And so I went for about six months. And I was a pretty happy-go-lucky guy until I got into the shift. And it was country music back in the 80s. And, oh, my goodness gracious, I felt like I lost my home, my family. My <laughs> So I, I said, Bob, Bob McClyman, I said, Bob, please bring me back to the FM. This is just so depressing. I mean, I'm playing, I'm loading up Alabama because that's okay. Um, but, I mean, oh, my goodness, everything else is just, oh, I can't. No, I'm not a Conway Twitty guy. I don't like that. But now I am, like, country music fan, big country mm-hmm. music fan. So it's funny how things change. But, you know, country music has evolved so crazy. But, you know, there's a, a Toby Keith song that says uh, songs about me, mm-hmm. and uh, I find myself, you know, the the country in me is still strong, so I find myself, um, and, and, and it seems like it's funny because country music um, fans have their artists that kind of speaks their language, and Jason Aldean is me, so if you hear a Jason Aldean song, um, that is very much kind of the way, the way I grew up, so I, I'm a big country music fan. Uh, all my girls know that because that's what we're listening to in the van, <laughs> and uh, and then uh, also I'm uh, a rock fan as well. And you know I'm diverse. You know I actually like some rap too. So um, and you know from the basketball games, most of it's like 
80s, 90s rap. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a country music fan. That's that's my number one. I've got like four country music channels on my radio and stuff. So, yeah. So now we're going to head into this week's flashback. This is where we review a oh, controversial right. or hot topic that may spark some conversation in the community. And this week we've got a little bit of a different one than some of the ones we have done in the past. And we're going to focus in on the fork versus spoon debate. Oh, okay. This is something that came up in class today, and I wanted like some outside opinions outside of class. Shout out to Haley Gaino for recommending this idea. She was the one who kind of brought it up in class today. And you can listen more about Haley on Episode 9 of Inside the Hive when she we interviewed her. Evolved. Yeah, she We interviewed her for Girl Swimming. So, yeah, Episode 9, Haley Gaino. With that being said... The two questions came up today were, what utensil do you use to eat mac and cheese, fork or a spoon, and what utensil do you use for mashed potatoes? You know, I always used to, I would I would have said years ago, spoon for both, but, yeah. you know, I find myself with definitely spoon for potatoes. Yeah, I'm you in that boat. You got to have a spoon, spoon yeah. for potatoes. Um, but I'm I'm. Probably going with the fork for mac and That's, cheese. Yeah. I'm about like a 50-50. Not too many people are 50-50. It's an no. either or, right? But yeah. I, whatever's clean. Yeah. And we're kind of shy on forks. Whatever's in your house. hand. You got a fork right there? You're going to use a fork. But Janie, our editor, is Team Spoon all the way, right? Your Team Spoon? Yeah. Janie's Team Spoon. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. Well, if there's like, hot dogs in the mac and cheese, I think you have to almost go more spoon, to be quite honest. If that's the case. But... And, you know, that's my son's, like, favorite meal is Frank's and mac and cheese. So um, that's uh, plentiful in our house. Our bonus flashback for this week comes from last night's uh, February 7th game when LeBron James passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the all-time points scored in the NBA. And I feel it adds another layer to the LeBron versus MJ debate. So, Mr. Reddick, which side are you on and has your opinion changed after last night? As he's chewing, hold on. Yeah. Give him a second. This is but. why I can't eat the food. No, 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 that's okay. Yeah, that's right. Well, Michael Jackson, well, Michael Jackson. <laughs> Got him <laughs> thinking music. Jordan, Michael Jordan. Um, the cast of characters that were around him um, were much better players than what LeBron has around him in many parts, most parts, not all parts but in most parts of his playing career. Um, so they rely on him to do a lot of other things that Jordan couldn't do. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's say this. LeBron could go play one through five. Yeah. He could play one through five and not skip a beat. Jordan couldn't do that. Now, as far as who's the better competitor, I mean, it's – I don't know that you can – have a better competitor than Michael Jordan. Kobe. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're 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 one and the same. I don't know that you you have somebody who has more harder desire. I mean, they are like level ten. I mean, there's a variety of guys that are at level ten, right? Both those guys. Those are level ten guys. Um, and the thing that upsets them is, I think, just when people around them aren't accepting the same challenges that they do. And, and I think that they almost force people to take their game to a next level. That's where I think LeBron has the chink in the armor that makes him maybe out of that greatest conversation. How he elevates the people around him um, 
Jordan elevated people around, even though he was he's a jerk. I mean, mm-hmm. Michael Jordan was a jerk. Um, but in the same way, he still elevated you. He forced you to be a better you, right? And LeBron doesn't necessarily – he doesn't necessarily have that – it doesn't seem like he has that same kind of connection with his uh-huh. teammates. I'm not – well, it doesn't, it doesn't appear that way anyway. So um, as far as the greatest – I'm going to have to still go with – and remember, Michael Jordan broke away from basketball and played baseball for a while. Then he realized that was too hard, <laughs> says the baseball guy. Um, but, you know, I would I would still have to roll with Jordan. If you're saying, who's the number one pick in your all-time team? Michael Jordan. Yeah. I mean, his, his ability to score one through three, competitor. If he wanted to drop 50 every game, he could have. He could have dropped 50 every game if he wanted to. Um, but he was also a great distributor. And a de- as a defensive player, there's no question that Jordan was a better defensive player than LeBron. I mean, and LeBron's a great defensive player. It's taken nothing away from LeBron. But, uh-huh. but Michael Jordan's defensive game was strong. He was an amazing defensive player. I just never took a, took a, a shift off. He was, he was amazing. Now, what is one bold prediction you have for 2023? Bold prediction. Hmm. In any area, or are you going to yeah. narrow it down? No, I mean, can uh, that's, up, that's up to you. It can be sports. Wow. It could be school. It could be whatever you whatever you think, whatever's on your mind. Um, I pick up a second job in 2023. Really? Okay. Yeah. What do we think that uh, job is going to be? Uh, city council. Oh, hey. There we go. There we go. Yep. I filed all my petitions just last week, and uh, um, all my petitions are, are good, and so I'm uh, running for city council this there year. There we so go. Picking up a second job. Get Mr. Redding your vote. Bold, predi- bold prediction. There we go. Um, so hopefully uh, I can, uh, and I've been on city council before, hopefully I can return this year. What is what would you say we're get, well we're getting into our final segment called one word. What would you say one word is to describe Perrysburg High School? Mm. Wow, and you're talking to the guy who's who's a, a short timer there too. So my mind kind of goes back. It's um for me it's a home away from home. You know, it's funny. I uh I was kind of thinking about that this morning because it's February, and February is a tough time. Yes, um, it is. We talked about that last week. It, it is a tough time. February's are just rotten. Oh um, you know, you're deep in the winter. Um, my office is super busy. Registration. Um, you know, a lot of unhappiness happens in February. So you got to keep your positivity. Uh huh. And so you're thinking of it when you're talking about going to school and part of the routine part of the routine that I have personally is when I walk into the building, I'm thinking of, you know, an attitude of gratitude, right? And so trying to, as I walk in, what are you grateful for? And it's like, oh my gosh, you realize how short of a time. And I was thinking about that today. How short of a time that you have here. Your last second set of twins, because I have two sets. Most of you guys know that. Second set of twins are freshmen. And you know how fast a high school career goes, and especially yeah. as seniors, mm-hmm. you know how fast a high school career goes. And that amount of time, I won't be taking that morning routine. I'll be shifting and doing a different morning routine, whatever that is. And think of how long you've been here. 
and all the battles that have happened and all the celebrations and so gosh it's just it's a home away from home um it you know i'm a guy who likes to live outside my chest a little bit um i love living with passion of course again that means you <laughs> you cry a lot but i cry at the beautiful beautiful things and the the things that i i really love are not just not the building it's the 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 people who are there, you know, and the connections that you have and hearing the Mr. Reddick, which cracks my dad up, by the way, every time they hear Mr. Reddick. Um, it's like, oh, Rick is called Mr. Reddick. That's funny. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, that, that family, and I find, I find a big part of that in the, in the teachers that are there. I find the family and the students that are there. Um, getting the looks down the hallway. A lot of times when you're standing in my spot, Students are doing their own thing. They're talking to one another, whatever. But, you know, there are students that kind of give you the look and, hey, Mr. Reddick, you don't know how great that is. I mean, it really is um, that, you know, that uh, that ability to be able to say you're a part of my world. Just hearing those sorts of things, you don't realize how big of an impact as students you have on the on the teachers that are that are in your world. OK, um, just those little things. Those are that's special. And I get that. I mean, I get that. That's pretty cool. That's cool stuff. So, yeah, when I think of Perrysburg High School, I think of think of all those students through all the years and all the relationships. That's that's awesome. I mean, not be inspired by that. That's cool. Now, Mr. Reddick, with our final question, we ask you, what is one word that you would use to describe Rick Reddick? Oh, boy. Blowhard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, blessed. Uh, I'm a blessed guy blessed and fortunate um still searching and you said one word right yep. yeah verbose how about that there you go verbose too wordy keep it keep it short just so like this is how we started off right yeah. keep it short yeah i do have to look that up using or and you're gonna give us a... more words than are needed. yeah that's yeah. right <laughs> got it i see it yeah add that to the vocab there <laughs> verbose verbose no um yeah I'm, I'm a blessed guy so um blessed with the people that are around me and and blessed that i get to do what i get to do so that's blessed i guess would be the number one word thank you mr reddick for coming on the show today we really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better and also getting to know a little bit more about what you do outside of school well guys i gotta tell you what this was this has been a lot of fun i've been i've been looking forward to this no lie so um you know my when i was on the radio my signal only went so far this is like worldwide stuff yeah this this is a lot of fun so and it's great that you guys have started this. You're groundbreaking. So uh, that's no lie, you know. People will you, – you'll be asked back yeah. one day. Think about yeah. that. You'll get mm-hmm. asked back and say, here are the old guys who started this so many years ago. And then you'll have a full audience and everything. And it's like, oh, my gosh, look what we started. Yeah. yeah that could happen. The founding fathers. Like the founding think, fathers. Yeah. Like to think we're building our brand one question at a time. And the, <laughs> the, haters, the haters can hate, but we're still going to do what we do. So. That's great. That's great. Th- thank you once again to Sidelines for letting us record here at 136 South Boundary, their Perrysburg location. Next week, we'll be interviewing Perrysburg girls soccer and track standout and future Michigan State Spartan, Adele Francis. This has been Episode 17 of Inside the Hive, a Jacket Sports Network production. Joel, it's that time again, buddy. It's that time again, Jack. To the moon, baby. To the moon. To the moon.